Sports Collective pod number five. Uh, your host here, J-Dub. Excited to be back. Took a little hi- hiatus. Had a little bit of a vacation. Still on the vacation. Um, ho- I always had this this lofty ambition. I'm going to pump out a bunch of pods. Had lots of great ideas. I got a couple in the can. Um, this is one of them. Today we're going to talk about uh, 2018 fantasy football rookie analysis. We go about 20 deep. I bring longtime friend, a guest here, um, longtime fantasy pro- football purveyor, expert uh, by the name of Team Kitty. So he's going by. That's his team name. We'll talk about that a little bit on the pod. I apologize in advance. This thing went really long. Um, we we try not to go too deep uh, and and too off topic, but we did our best. I think it's uh, it's good good content. Again, if you're not love the NFL or fantasy football, then maybe bypass. But here we're gonna go on the flip side, and I uh, hope you enjoy it. Thanks. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Look how I'm living now. We're going to kick it off. I'm excited to have our, our special guest here, longtime friend, uh, longtime uh, league mate in our primary uh, league, the uh, the PAFL, um, is uh, Team Kitty. He's going to be known as Team Kitty here for the uh, for the duration of, of this pod. Maybe we'll figure something out long-term uh, with a little bit more catchy name. Um, and I, I'll turn it over to him. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm actually looking forward to making a run to my first ever Jankster Cup. Nice. Jankster Cup is, uh, for those who don't know, is um, or just context, is our, our league championship trophy. Um, and it goes back to we we actually grew up together. And uh, Jankster in the 90s was like a, a endearing term for um, shittiness, I guess. Was, yeah, kind of a combination it. of dorkiness and shittiness. Yeah. And uh, and what's the history on Team Kitty, by the way? How do we get Team Kitty as a name? Well, Team Kitty, uh, well, it might sound a whole lot better than it actually is. Um, my, I got a cat when I was 17 years old and, uh, named my fantasy team after my cat. It's just kind of stuck around. I try and pretend that it means something else, but it really doesn't. Yeah. We, we, we we have a good time with that. How, um, how long did the cat last? About, let's see, 17 years. The first year I moved here to Seattle in the 2009, uh, Kitty passed away. Thought we were going to make a run to, to the Jankster Cup at that point, you know, to, Kind of celebrate uh, Kitty's life, but it just didn't happen. I missed the playoffs. I think I won two games. Damn. Uh, so Team Kitty, by the way, has has consistently been one of the most exciting franchises. One of the most active owners in our particular league um, has has some outlandish takes and is always in the fray um, of of pretty much every fantasy conversation we're always having. Um, so I thought it would be great to have him on to do our initial launch of our fantasy, uh, rookie rankings, which, uh, for those of you, uh, just give context, that will be the only rankings we're doing. Um, there's plenty of people doing the overall ranks and it's really easy to figure out which wide receiver to take at the top of your draft, right? It's, it's Odell, it's, it's what's Antonio, it's Odell, it's folks like that. But it's harder to understand who these new guys is. And I think it's a lot more fun to talk about them. So we're going to kick that off. Uh, and we're going to go through the ranks um, you'll see published along with his podcast um, are doing two ranks. I'm doing standard rank. So it's traditional kind of fantasy link rank. And then we're doing super flex rank. 
Um, I won't do the, the case for Superflex leagues now, but I do have an article up uh, about why Superflex is the only way to go, and you really shouldn't play any other way. Um, okay, on that, so I'm going to go through the rank and then uh, make my, my basic case, and then Team Kinney is going to give his take on player by player. We're going to go top 20. Anything below 20, you'll see we'll put some ranks beyond that, but there's no reason to go that deep for, for, this, for these purposes. So, okay, to kick it off, I think it's pretty obvious who the first overall player is on every list, um, none other than uh, Saquon Barkley, the New York Giants uh, rookie running back, number two overall selection this year. Um, any disagreements there? No, you know, I, I'm not as hyped on him as just about everybody else in the world is. I think that they've got a terrible offensive line in New York. And, uh, you know, he, it just seems like he's set up to fail at this point in time. But after watching him in college, there's no doubt what his talent's all about. His his uh, his um, athleticism is off the charts. And so you, you want to believe, I think, that he's a transcendent talent. And that's why he's is at the top of the rankings. But with that said, I am not as high on Saquon as everybody else is. Yeah, I think that's well said. I mean, look, they've got a lot of weapons there. Their quarterback look kind of washed up at the end of last year. Um, and I, I would say if there's one big concern I have with is just his style when I watch film is he does like to kind of bounce stuff for the big gain. He, he doesn't have that skill set of saying, hey, I just got to dive forward to get back to the line of scrimmage or take a one or two yard gain. And the NFL, everyone has got quickness and speed. They know the angles. I still think, though, if you watch the tape, I mean, the guy right now could be a dominant wide receiver, a good running back. I think the combination of the two, he's probably going to get, he's going to blow out the historical targets that the Giants have been funneling to their running backs recently, um, which I think is going to ultimately put a little uh, downward pressure on like Evan Ingram and. Um, Sterling Shepard. Sterling Shepard, definitely. And then to a certain extent, potentially Beckham. I mean, um, but I think they've got so many weapons there, it's going to be hard to tone in. And at the end of the day, he's going to get 300 touches barring injury almost no matter what. I mean, he's the, I think he's the highest paid running back in the league now, um, although Gurley's new contract this week may have beat him out on guaranteed dollars. Um, and you just can't afford to take a guy number two overall and not just funnel the, the ball to him. So. Well, and I, I will say this as well, that in a PPR league, he certainly has a, a lot of a lot more value simply because even if the offensive line is porous, uh, he's going to catch a lot of passes out of the backfield. Yeah, exactly. Okay, now we're going to get into the fun of it. Again, this is a standard league. Uh, we're, we're doing this from a, pers a perspective that it is PPR, but um, a half-point PPR, which seems to be coming the standard. Um, so the second one I've got here is Rashard Penny, the 27th overall selection by Seattle Seahawks. The short thing on here, here is that, look, there's some, there's some downsides here. Played Division, well, played Division One, but effectively Division Two. Um, incredibly explosive. He led the country in most yards before contact, so which which tells you that his offensive line did a great job of, of moving people out, and he had a lot of explosive plays. And Seattle's got some concerns, um, which I think Team Kitty's going to talk about in a second. That said, I just I see him having kind of one of the highest ceilings of all the rookies, potentially even challenging or beating Barkley for offensive rookie of the year if things slide in into place. Um, and if you know Seattle can get their act together with the offensive line, kind of there's 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 some talent around him that's competing, but at the end of the day, he's he's got a pretty clear path to a massive volume. So, uh, you know, I think my analysis for Saquon can be applied to to, to Rashard Penny as well. Um, in, until the Seattle uh, Seahawks offensive line shows me that they're not junior varsity, then I don't trust any running back behind that line. Um, 
That said, I, I watched him last year, especially the game against Stanford, and I immediately texted everybody in our league that this guy is going to be a top four rookie pick. Uh, I don't think that that's going to be. I don't think that's going to be challenged. I think that he probably goes in the top four in our league. And uh, the, the fact that he's ranked number two here, I don't have a lot of problem with. But I do think that he comes with a lot of uh, uh, a lot of caveats. One is that he did play against uh, inferior competition, and two, he's got an offensive line that sucks. Um, and three, Chris Carson is not uh, anything to shake a stick at. The guy was on pace for a thousand yards last year, and from everything that I'm reading up here right now. He, it's his job to lose to at least start the season. And then you've also got a, a couple other mouths to feed. You've got uh, J.D. McKissick, who showed um, that he was worthy of a lot of playing time last year. Uh, you know, Nice uh, pass catcher out of the backfield. Uh, one guy you don't have to worry about is Eddie Lacy, who I'll be surprised if he's ever in the league again. But um, <laughs> you know, Rashard Penny, solid player. I'm, I'm, he's explosive, just like Barkley. Uh, I think that he's got a, a high ceiling. Um, I'm not... I'm not blown away by his situation, but fine. Number two, let's move on. Yeah, nice said. And, and but by the way, we're we are uh, we are taping this from a, a swanky Seattle downtown Seattle hotel room, um, so that's why Team Kitty's based up here in Seattle. He's got a little bit unique perspective. He gets the local flavor. Um, and for those of you who have never been to Seattle, uh, the fans here they're into their team. It's more Midwestern style. Like they really, really, really care. And they support their team through thick and thin. It's not like the coastal cities where they'll bail on their team where there's a lot more stuff going on, so they kind of forget. Um, so you do get a lot of great kind of in-depth coverage and, and sort of hot takes, if you will. So, okay, well, that brings me to the third selection. Uh, and this one is uh, Leonard Fournette Light, uh, LSU uh, running back Darius Geis, who went pick number 59 to the Washington Redskins. Um, short one on this is... Look, he's got a really high floor this year. I think if you look at his competition for the kind of the grinding role, the first and second down, there's not a lot there. So it should be relatively clean. Um, that said, he's also his ceiling's a little bit capped because you've got Chris Thompson, who's very dynamic there as the third down back. Uh, and I just I'm I have some questions about that offense overall going forward. But I, I love Geis, and I think he should be a top, you know, at least in the standard format, he should be a top uh, four or five pick in every single league. Now, I'm actually higher on Geis than I am Penny, at least as far as redraft leagues go, um, for one of the reasons that um, was just stated here, and that's that he's, he, he is going to be shoehorned into 300 carries, it's, or at least 300 touches. And uh, not a lot of talented competition for, for the carries, Chris Thompson's going to take away some touches. There's no doubt about that. Um, but, you know, let's not forget, this guy led the SEC in rushing when Leonard Fournette was on his team. So this guy is is obviously talented. Um, you know, I'm not really concerned about all these personality issues that people are tossing out there. Uh, that's a, that, that process is kind of a joke as it is. And so uh, Darius Geis, I, I would put him at number two behind Saquon um, just because of his – opportunity in Washington if we're talking about you know uh, holdover leagues then yeah there's probably some concern just because uh, John Gruden is John Gruden Jay Gruden is probably on his way out if he's not making the playoffs this year and at that point it's anybody's guess what's going to take place in 2019 yeah it's uh it's a good good take I, I like the the uh the, the you know the back and forth between Penny and Geis here 
I think Geis's talent is undeniable. Um, you watch him on tape; he runs angry. I, I would actually, call, I would actually think he's more like a Marshawn Lynch uh, type of player. Um, my big concern for him, if I think about short and long term, is is that running style uh, sustainable? Right? He has this like really aggressive um, style, and I, I like it. And I, I just, you know, it's funny. I just don't know how much the SEC backs translate. I feel like so many of these guys come out, we're so excited about them. I, I, can, I still always remember I, I, I died on the, uh, the Darren McFadden corner for many, 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 many years. Um, and, and it's not to say SEC doesn't produce great running backs, because they do, but I feel like some of these guys who were just dominant in college, they come to the next level and they're not as dominant. And the guys that are less dominant, you know, are the ones that end up being kind of the, the next stars. So which is a good segue. So number four on the list, another SEC running back. Not surprising. Georgia Bulldog, Sony Michelle, uh, went pick 31 to New England. Um, I think this is where we're probably going to start getting some diversion on everybody else's rankings. But look, Michelle is a really uh, versatile back. He kind of does a little bit. He's actually above average to very good at everything. Pass protection, receiving, um, he can run in, he can run out. He's dynamic. A lot of people compared him to as this year's Alvin Kamara. I don't see that. Alvin Kamara is a much more scat backish, like home run threat, crazy quick. Um, but he, I don't see Kamara as a guy that's going to get three inner touches and survive. Michelle is a much bigger guy, and so I, I like him in this New England offense. But it's really risky given that Belichick, on a moment's notice, could pull him and start, you know, start playing his son at, at running back or whatever. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, but it, the thing about Michelle and the thing about New England is they've had two top 25 ish backs uh, over 50% of the time in the last 10 years. And if you just plug in uh, Deion Lewis's stats for the whole year and you extrapolate it out for an entire season and you see Sony Michelle is going to plug into that, he's a top 15 back. And I think that's the, that's the thing that's really exciting about that situation. Uh, first thing I think of with Michelle is fumbling concerns and uh, Belichick's penchant for putting guys in the doghouse for fumbling in practice. And uh, so, uh, you know, if he can hold on to the ball, I like Michelle in this situation, especially um, when you look at the fact that Dion Lewis, exactly what was just said, Dion Lewis um, projected to be a thousand yard back over the, the course of the season, and he's going to fulfill that role. I don't see James White. If James White was the real deal, then Sonny Michelle wouldn't be in there. And uh, then you also throw in the fact that the last guy that they drafted in the first round was Lawrence Maroney. Lawrence Maroney, while he didn't have a decorated career, his rookie season was a stud and was totally worth going after with a high pick. So Michelle, I'm, I'm fine with him here. Um, he doesn't come out come without his concerns, but uh, the talent's undeniable. The situation, the fact that the fact that the Patriots were willing to take a running back who they usually devalue in the first round speaks volumes. And so I'm willing to take a risk with this guy in this position. Yeah, so uh, a note on that, Deion Lewis last year had over 1,000 yards in, uh, I think, like 10 games, effectively 10 games. He played the whole season, but he was only playing um, most of the time um, in the last 10 games. And I think he scored nine touchdowns in that time. So six Six uh, on the ground and um, three on the in the air. So actually, sorry, I take that back. He had uh, 1,100 total yards last year and nine TDs. Played in all 16 games, but only started eight. 
but in 10. And so if you extrapolate that out with Michelle, I mean, look, he, he, I would say if you look at the rookie list on the running back side, or just at all positions, including wide receiver, I, I would say the guy, the, to me, the favorites to win rookie of the year, uh, at least offensive rookie of the year, are going to be Barkley, Michelle, and Penny. Uh, I think you've got some outside chances with Royce Freeman, with guys. Uh, but I think uh, those guys are going to be a little bit touch constrained, whereas Barkley, um, Barkley's not going to be touch constrained. Penny's not going to be touch constrained. And, and Michelle may be touch constrained, but he's in such an explosive offense that he could put up 13, 14 TDs and 12, 1300 yards and only have like 225, 230 touches. So, but I, I agree. Great call on the fumbles. As we all know, like he fumbles once in game one and, you know, he may be picking up trash in the stands from like week four on. So Belichick is definitely a, yeah, you know, he's he's disciplined. I think that was the call today, uh, this week when James Harrison said uh, Mike Tomlin's not as good a coach as Belichick. And effectively what he was saying was like Belichick's discipline, which I, I sort of read between the lines. What, what he meant was Belichick's a fucking dick. Um, so anyhow, okay, next one, Nick Chubb. Uh, Michelle's backfield mate at University of Georgia, fifth overall um, here on the rankings. He was the 35th overall pick by the Browns. Uh, the quick on Chubb, I mean, you just watched the tape as a freshman, um, even at the end of this past year. Look, Go look at the playoff game against Oklahoma. Even look at some of the tape against um, uh, the earlier game, I'm blanking on, towards the end of the SEC championship game. He's so explosive, and he's, as a pure runner, I think he's as good as Barkley in this class. He just doesn't have the um, success as a, as a receiver. He hasn't shown that much. Um, but he clearly got when he got hurt his sophomore year, he's lost of explosiveness. He, it looks like he's gained it back. Um, he would be higher on this list. He may even be number one for me if he'd gone to a team like Seattle um, or even New England, where it was like you had a clear path to 300 plus touches if you're the more superior player. Unfortunately, he's in probably the worst situation, um, you know, outside of going to a team that already had a star back. But I really love his talent long term. I think this year he's going to be splitting. So if you're in a redraft se- seasonal league, clearly this is too high for him. Um, but in any league where you get to to taste the the flavor of the player you take for a couple of years, he's going to be an awesome pick in my opinion. Yeah, it's hard for me to disagree with anything that was just said. Uh, everything that I've read has said that Chubb's athleticism is right up there with Barkley, and you know some people say that he's the better athlete than Barkley. Uh, you know, college career, he, he certainly showed he showed up in big moments. And uh, you know, the injury concerns, I think, are behind him. Um, but, you know, and he the, the one thing that I will say is that he's running behind a underrated offensive line in Cleveland. Yeah. It's just a matter of is he going to get the opportunity. Carlos Hyde has been good every single time he's been healthy. And Carlos Hyde uh, got paid a lot of money to come in there and be the workhorse back. And uh, then you look at Duke Johnson, who – kind of cuts into both Hyde and Geis, the way, sorry, Hyde and Chubb, the way that Chris Thompson's going to cut into Geis. And so it, the, the question really is opportunity in Cleveland. The talent is not a question. It's opportunity. And, um, you know, if, if, if he's got a keeper league, then this guy's a great person to pick and stash, but I wouldn't go too high on him. Redraft leagues, you know, we're, we're talking late rounds. But um, I, the one thing I'll say about Chubb and Hyde, I, I, I've watched Hyde play quite a bit he is a good runner and it's unfortunate that Chubb has to go up against him in this situation but I think talent has the potential to win out here and I think Chubb could end up with 200 plus carries with Hyde falling into a uh, 
a support role, and that's why I have him so high because I think he is so he has the potential to be the greatest back in this class. Him and Barkley to me are in a different level, um, but you are counting. I mean, Chubb, you got to wait on. It's like you know, a fine wine. You can't drink it. It's not going to be as best as it's going to be this year, which is unfortunate. Okay, so let's keep moving along. Uh, we'll we'll get faster here as we get to these players that nobody cares about. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, pick number six, Ronald Jones. So uh, rookie out of USC, uh, selected number 38 overall by Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They've been searching for a featured back. Um, well, actually, to be honest, they had they had the muscle hamster, uh, Doug Martin, who uh, you know came out on the scene, I think, in 12 and was outstanding. Uh, top five, top three fantasy back that year. And then had uh, a bad year, then came back and had a really good year, then had a bad year, then came back and I think led the NFL in rushing. His contract in, year. In 16, 15 or 16, and then, yeah, contract year. And then he's been garbage, and now he's in Oakland. Um, and then, you know, now they've just got a bunch of spare parts as far as I'm concerned. I really like Peyton Barber from Auburn, but he is truly just a jag, just another guy. Uh, Jaquez Rogers, he's a good kind of versatile backup, but he's, he's not going to guy that you want to carry the rock for more than a game or two. And Carlos uh, or Charles Sims is somebody who, I mean, at the end of the day, is pass catching back. Um, and so it just feels like Jones is really set up to have a, quite a few touches. And if you watch him on film, like, don't get him caught. He's not just like a scat back. Like, he weighs a little over 200. He really knows how to push the line. He, he, he feels like he does do that NFL thing where if the play's only meant to get two yards, he kind of, like, figures out how to just put his head down and get those two yards. Uh, but then if he gets in the open field, I mean, he's just, he's electric. Um, so that's why I've got him here. So uh, agreed with everything that's said there, except for I would put him ahead of Chubb just because of the opportunity he's got. Uh, they, they picked him in, uh, early in the second round, and uh, they did it to make them make him their featured back. And, uh, you know, the, my only concern is he's coming out of USC. USC players tend to be garbage in the NFL. At least USC skill Ooh. positions Ooh. tend to be garbage in the NFL. Juju, you know, changed that narrative a little bit last year, but uh, you know, if, if there is one concern, it's the fact that he's, he's a Trojan. So, um, but if I'm going to pick, if I'm going to rank him, I actually rank him ahead of Chubb, and uh, primarily for the for the opportunity factor. No, I think that's good. And on the SC receiver thing, man, they've they've reached out a niche. They've got these like they're doing really well with second round picks that come in as like your number like week number one or really solid number two. You got Robert Woods in LA, you got Marquise Lee in Jacksonville, you got Juju Smith Schuster now in uh in um uh Pittsburgh. in Pittsburgh, and then you got Nelson Aguilar in uh, Philadelphia. Yeah, last year actually so was a good year for USC. They receivers. broke out. Well Lee broke out two years ago. Uh, broke out now, broke out in Jacksonville and he's hundred yards. Suck. Yeah, he's had 800-plus yards two years in a row. Um, and then Schuster was a rookie last year. He played well. And then Aguilar broke out last year. And Woods broke out, ultimately, after but, being so, kind of pretty bad. So we're, you know, we're talking about receivers in that regard. But here we're talking about uh, running backs. What was the last USC running back that was a stud? You know, Reggie Bush was Reggie Bush was, was certainly serviceable and, and had some explosion. But... Do we have any other running backs? Well, Lendo, Lendo White had a couple good years there. Um, he petered out pretty quickly, but he, you know, I think he had 10 plus touchdowns at least one year in Tennessee. Um, but it's a great question. You, you had a lot of guys like the Buck Allens of the world who come in with, you know, in college, you're like, oh, that guy's going to be an NFL, you know, productive NFL player. And then when the draft comes along, they end up falling to like the fifth, sixth round. You kind of don't hear of them. Um, 
And there's been a bunch of those guys. Like I'm blanking on some of their names from recent history, which we should know since we play, uh, we uh, fervently play college fantasy as well. Um, but that that actually goes to show kind of how irrelevant USC backs have been in the NFL is that we're having trouble placing really any that have been superstar status. Yeah. And so for that reason, that just kind of underscores my point about uh, my concerns about Ronald Jones. Uh, yeah. But again, opportunity. I think it's fair. I think it's totally fair. Okay. Uh, next pick, we're going staying in, in the Pac-12 here, going with one of the Pac-12's all-time leaders in rushing TDs and rushing yardage. Royce Freeman selected with the 71st pick in uh, for the Denver Broncos. Uh, and this is our first pick that's kind of further back in the draft. And this guy took got taken in the, the you know uh, upper uh, part of the third round. But after this, you'll see a bunch of kind of uh, early second and first rounders. So he's the one guy in that top, you know, 15-ish, uh, early in the top 20 that that's outside the second round this year. Very top-heavy skill position draft. The thing with him is that he kind of went under the radar. He played all four years at Oregon. Um, outside of one injury uh, plague season, had 13 plus hundred yards in all four years or in the three other years. Um, and it had over 1900 yards, I believe, in two of the years, scored a ton of touchdowns, 60 plus touchdowns. Um, it's really hard to actually have a knock in this guy. You know, he's not spectacular. Like he doesn't have the breakaway of Ronald Jones. He doesn't have the receiving kind of flexibility and versatility of a Barkley. Um, he's not as spectacular in the open field like Penny. He's not as violent as Geis. But he sort of does a little bit of everything well, and I love the situation he's in. Denver's got an underrated offensive line. Um, they've got some stability at quarterback. I mean, you have to believe in Case Keenum, but he's clearly an upgrade of what they've had. That team's got some decent wide receiver talent, underrated, um, although uh, the core starters are a little bit aging. Um, and I just, you know, he could easily walk into 250 plus touches in a in a media or in, you know above average offense and really explode. So I, I like him, and he's a guy I think could go higher here. But I've got him here at, at number seven. So when I think about Royce Freeman, I think about a forty-year-old, forty-year-old um, chick who's super hot but has never been married. You know, you, you look at her and you say, "Wow, she's super attractive." But what's wrong with her? Why does nobody want to marry her? And that's the way that I feel about a running back who went through college for four years and didn't go pro earlier. What's wrong with him? Why did he not come out of the draft after his junior year or his sophomore year? Maybe a, there might have been some injury concerns. But a guy who's been in, in college for all four years, that guy's taken a lot of hits. That guy's had a lot of touches. Uh, you know, this, uh, I feel like NFL stands for not for long for Royce Freeman. That's a bold call. I like it. You know, it may just be the Oregon sticky icky. You know, like there's something about that Eugene. It's just, it's an awesome place. Um, yeah, Freeman's, a, a, there's definitely a bust factor here. Uh, the only thing I would say is who's going to get the carries. I mean, at this point, it's Devontae Booker, who's already proven that he's mediocre at best. Uh, you know, he's had a decent sample size of of touches his his last two years, and I think he's he's like at three point seven, three point six yards per carry. C.J. Anderson was much better than him. After that, they have a, like a seventh rounder from last year. I think D'Angelo Henderson, or um, I think it's his right. name, um, and he's been hurt. He's actually starting, I think, on the pup list to start the the camp. And I just, you know, when I watch Freeman, I have to say, I like your analogy of the, the hot girl. When I watch the tape, I sort of went into this being like, ah, he is what he is, you know. And you watch him, and he's very smooth. He's got power to run guys over. He knows how to set up his block. He's patient, consistently leaning forward. He had breakaway plays. Like, he, he knew how to, like, stiff arm guys, get in the open field. So he surprised me. Um, I think he's a guy that 
look, a year from now, we're either going to be calling him a top 15 fantasy back overall, or he's going to be Devontae Booker 2.0. So it's a wide range of outcomes, but I really like where he's at. Um, okay, so we're running low on time here. I want to go through all of these. Um, our next back here uh, is Caron Johnson. So we can talk about him real quick. And then let's cover off on the top two receivers and then go through the quarterbacks. Does Sounds that good. Work? Um, so on Caron Johnson, he's my next guy. He's, he's number eight on this list, the 43rd pick overall from Detroit. The quick on him, look, he's similar to Freeman in that the competition there is is a little bit – I mean, there's more players there and more people with defined roles with LeGarrette Blunt in the, in the goal line back and Riddick as a third down guy. But you watch Caron Johnson play, and there's a lot of similarities between him and Royce Freeman in many ways. They run very – they're very professional runners. They know how to – like. Uh, set up their blocks they know how to lean forward get the extra yards they have surprisingly smooth kind of cutting to building open field and they can take things to the house thing with johnson that concerns me though if you just look at his stats in college he wasn't very productive i think overall he averaged like 4.8 yards a carry which is really bad in college um and he and he only had really one season that, of note where he put up some stats which was this past year um, but that said, he's drafted so high, and he's drafted by a team that's really looking to establish the running game, and they've really got no one ahead of him who's a consistent kind of grinder type. So I, I like him, but clearly a uh, big-time floor or uh, low floor here as well. I spell carry-on, C-A-R-R-I-O-N, a.k.a. roadkill. Let's move on. Nice. I like it. Okay, let's go receivers now. So um, – uh, look, my top two receivers in order are Ridley, and I've got him, by the way, nine on the list, and DJ Moore, 10. Um, I like them for different reasons. Moore has so much more talent that I could see on tape, um, and just the athletic profile is, is much greater than Ridley. That said, Ridley was a top recruit, came into a top program, Alabama, and was immediately lights out as a freshman. In fact, his best year of his three years in college was as a freshman season. Um, and I think he landed in an ideal situation. I mean, you could say, yeah, Julio Jones is the, the number one guy there, but Atlanta has consistently, with Matt Ryan, been a great passing offense, underrated, in fact. Uh, I, I see Ridley playing the Roddy White role here in the second half of Julio Jones' career, and I, I think it's a very likely, not this year, but by next year, that Ridley is a 1,000-yard kind of receiver. He's not going to be spectacular. He's not going to be a top-10 fantasy guy, but I think he's got a great shot at being a perennial 10-20 to 20 guy. Whereas Moore has more upside, he could be the number one guy in Carolina, but he's got a, there's a lot more mouths to feed there. And Carolina under under Cam Newton has never been a spectacular passing offense. I mean, Newton's dropping 700 yards rushing every year, and then they have a decent kind of running back core that where they're running, and with Nerv Turner in town, so I, I just concerns me. But those to me are the clear head of the class on the on the wide receiver group this year. Um, what are your thoughts? I think Calvin Ridley has got a Juju uh, Smith-Schuster type season ahead of him. Julio Jones is the greatest decoy in the NFL. He carries nice. three defensive backs with him, but he actually never catches the ball. It's, I'm jaded. I had him last year, and he's one of the reasons why my team flamed out of the playoffs. Um, but I do like Calvin Ridley's situation. Um, people say that he's a slightly less talented or less athletic Amari Cooper. So that concerns me a little bit given where Amari Cooper has been in his career so far, but his opportunity is great. Guys like Mohamed Sanu um, put up numbers as the number two behind uh, Julio. So I don't see any reason why he can't have a type of season like Juju Smith-Schuster did last year. Um, and uh, DJ Moore, everything that was just said, I, I agree with. Uh, Funches is the number one there. I think that he is steadily improving. 
there's not a lot of targets between uh, available outside of Funchess and Olsen. And then McCaffrey's going to be stealing a bunch of those as well. Uh, not even stealing. I mean, there's, he's going to be targeted as a primary receiving threat in that offense. So more, you know, possibly a guy just to come in and stretch the field. Uh, I don't see him putting up big stats in his rookie well, year. So who do you like more? I, I, if you look at the receivers, you got Dante Pettis, Christian Kirk, Cortland Sutton. We're all sec- early second round picks. Um, uh, is one of those guys, uh, even Anthony Miller, do those guys appeal more to you than I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty high on Christian Kirk just yeah. uh, just because of, you know, I watched him a bunch in college and uh, I like his explosiveness. I think he runs great routes and uh, he's going to be learning behind one of the best. And so I, I think a guy like him lining up in the slot is going to be a Wes Welker type. Uh, he's going to put up, he's going to get a lot of catches, uh, put up a lot of numbers. I certainly like him in uh, dynasty leagues redraft probably will find him on the waiver wire but uh i think it's gonna be tough for him to beat out jj nelson (laughs) (laughs) there's no bias there yeah well he's not on my team anymore so that by the way gives you a clue in how deep our league is when we're talking jj nelson um okay quarterback so uh, i'll just go quickly here to me there's really four of these guys i i just to call it out ahead of time i'm i do not believe in josh allen i think he's a complete uh dart throw um but not just a dart throw it's like a blindfolded spin you around three times now throw it against the dartboard you may hit someone on the opposite wall like he just i watched his tape he plays it like a low level football division at wyoming and he didn't look good there and uh, this is just a prime example to me someone who just got overdrafted but going back to the core four quarterbacks you got Rosen, who went 10. He's my number one. You got Jackson at 32 to Baltimore. Uh, Lamar Jackson is. You got Baker Mayfield at one, and you got Darnold. Those, those are in my order. And, and real quick, the reason why, Rosen, I watch him. He's just great pro style. He's got, he throws every ball so well. He's just got – he spins it as well as any quarterback I've seen in a long time. And you look around the talent around him, he was dropping dimes left and right. Guys were dropping. And I think it, it shows well. Like, look at the running look at the running back, wide receiver, and tight end talent that's come out since he's been on that team. The one guy who's been drafted already who's in the league, uh, Cleveland Brown guy, Jordan Payton, I believe was his name, it, it flamed out. And, and that's a pr- prime example of a great quarterback who made a player better than he really was, and you'd see it at the pro level. So I got him there. Lamar Jackson is, I know Team Kitty's going to chime in on this one because he loved him in his college fantasy league but this guy is amazing i mean let's let's just call it for what it is like he is the guy i think has the highest ce- highest uh ceiling in this draft by a long shot i think his worst case scenario is he's basically a michael vick kind of 2.0 type player but as his ceiling to me is is michael jordan of football like he's a guy that could change the position watch him play he's got great uh he's got he's got actually he's got average pocket passing skills today that would justify like a relatively high pick second and third round let's say where he needs to get better he's clearly not ready he's not josh rosen in the pocket outside the pocket and his ability to buy time in the pocket it we've never seen this i mean he makes cam newton look like a lumbering offensive lineman um and he's just amazing so that those two and then you got baker mayfield at one he's a winner I worry about some of the stuff. I mean, Cleveland, there's just so much history and negativity. He's really going to have to overcome. Um, but I still think he's got a good shot, especially with the talent around him. And then Sam Darnold, there's a big bust potential there. There's a big bust potential with all these quarterbacks. Uh, but I like I like his competitiveness. Uh, he did it on the big stage. He played great in you know, basically a little bit less than two full seasons as a starter. 
Um, I don't love his landing spot, but you know, he's three overall. He's going to get his chances. So if you're in super flex leagues, that's kind of how I see Rosen, Jackson, Mayfield, Darnold. What's your take on those guys? Um, I'm going to leave Lamar Jackson out of this right now just because I don't have any lotion in here. Um, <laughs> but uh, Josh Rosen, you know, injury concerns, concussion concerns. Uh, but from everything that's, that's, that's been said about this guy, that he's the most pro-ready, and he lands in a perfect situation with a journeyman quarterback in front of him who likely will be injured by week two. And so this guy's going to have the exactly. reins immediately. He's throwing to a Hall of Fame top five all-time receiver who actually seems to be getting more athletic as his career goes on, which is really weird. And uh, then, you know, kind of a, t- a talented rookie in Christian Kirk. And um, then an all-world running back, David, uh, David Johnson. So he's in a good situation. I think he's going to take the reins early, and I think that he's going to be putting up some numbers by his second year. Uh, redraft leagues, you know, he's, you're not going to be playing him in a, in a one-quarterback league, but potentially in a two-quarterback league. And then Dynasty, he should be one of your top guys off the board. Uh, Baker Mayfield. Oklahoma. I mean, this guy's this guy played in the Big Twelve with wide receivers. Don't have guys within twenty yards of him. Yeah, he's accurate, but you know, can he throw in close in, in tight pocket in uh, tight windows? I don't know the answer to that. I mean, he went number one, but it was to Cleveland, and there's no credibility there. He doesn't excite me. He's a big concern. I'm I'm, I'm passing. Sam Darnold. When was the last USC quarterback who was good? Carson Palmer. Um, Mark Sanchez, man. Mark Sanchez did. fumble. Mark Sanchez did a great job <laughs> his rookie year with a, with a all time great defense and did a good job game managing. Um, but you know, Sam Darnold doesn't excite me at all. In fact, I would rather Teddy Bridgewater be running that team than Sam Darnold. So um, really, it's it's Josh Rosen and then Lamar Jackson is otherworldly. I. I I think it's better for everybody if I don't talk about him. Yeah. The only thing I'd add about Jackson, just to throw out there, is like people might be shocked about having Jackson the number two quarterback, especially at the end of the first round. But you got to remember, look at it's hard to actually find an athletic running quarterback who came in the NFL, who was even drafted in the first couple rounds, not just first rounders, who didn't have at least one spectacular year the first year they played. You know, it goes back Vince Young. Um, you know, almost every across the, the, the spectrum. And so I think Jackson's kind of floor is one really good season fantasy-wise. Again, that might not be pro, but uh, in, in real-life results, but fantasy-wise. But again, I think his upside's huge. And it looks like he's going to get playing time immediately this year. They're, they're working him in as a, as a kind of special package guy. They're going to be running kind of special plays from the slot where he starts in the slot and runs across the formation to draw the defense. They'll, they'll probably do some handoff stuff where then – he has run option abilities. Um, and I just don't know if, you know, if that team's not winning, I, I think they're going to move on pretty quickly and get him time. Because if you watch him play, I, I encourage you to go watch some film. And if you go on F, uh, fscollective.com, you can read the Lamar Jackson profile. You can click on directly in, in some film. He's, he's really good. He actually works through his progressions. He'll move up in the pocket. He buys time to make throws. He, he does stuff that running quarterbacks don't do in college and so i have a lot of hope that this guy is going to be special but there's a leap of faith there so any other um any guys like rookies that we didn't talk about or just people you want to call out as is like you know crazy um sleepers for you before we head out 
to say that I do like uh, Naheem Hines. Uh, yep. I know that you have a, a pretty good memory of him yep. on your uh, college fantasy team. It was a guy that you refused to start every single week. And no, I week started him, but it was like every other week, and he would suck or be underwhelming, and I'd put him on the bench, and then he'd drop three TDs at halftime, and you'd be dropping texts to the whole group being like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, but so <laughs> Naheem Hines, I, I like his situation. You know, Marlon Mack is going to be the guy there. There's no doubt about that. And then Jordan Wilkins, um, you know, I, I I don't have a whole lot of good things to say about Jordan Wilkins, but he is there as competition. But I do think that Naheem Hines is going to put up some numbers this year and actually be valuable even as a, as a flex player in a redraft league. I think that he's going to put up somewhere around 800 combined yards and maybe four or five touchdowns, and you probably are going to get some some long ones, especially so that's especially valuable in leagues that uh, put a premium on uh, long touchdown plays. And so I think that you can look for a few explosive touchdowns, 800 combined yards, and uh, PPR-wise, probably 30, 40 catches. So I like, I like that call. I, I think Hines is definitely – I mean, and by the way, we didn't talk about Indy, uh, but wide open situation. Luck looks like he's going to be back, and that just makes that off. I mean, they're immediately a top – if Muck is healthy, they're probably a top seven, top eight offense, and you've got a wide open backfield. I mean, you have a wide open everything there, basically. Um, but the backfield in particular, I mean, you could have two fantasy relevant players there even. Um, the guy I'll call out, and this is a deep sleeper for like the deepest leagues, is Jalen Samuels, uh, Hines' backfield mate uh, or quasi-backfield mate, I guess. Like he's sort of a versatile player, played tight end, played running back. I, I see this guy as a, a player. He's sort of a playmaker where I think the Steelers will, will uh, play him in tight end type positions, give him a couple carries in the backfield. I don't think he's going to have fancy value this year, barring some major injury to a, a Le'Veon Bell type uh, situation, which which obviously we don't want to see happen. But if uh, I think next year, if Bell's not in Pittsburgh, he could be part of that mix. But I think he's just a versatile playmaker that gives them um, a piece to play with in a situation when they're missing. They really haven't had a tight end to go to um, since Heath Miller's kind of prime four or five, six years ago. And, and, and by the way, if Bell leaves, that's like 130, 120 targets. I don't even know how many targets he got last year. 100 plus targets that are now wide open for a running back. And I just don't see James Conner or whoever they draft just sliding right in to get all that stuff. So I think Samuels is a big part of the mix. I'm going to move at our rulemaking session tomorrow night to make him tight end eligible. Yeah, that'd be good for fantasy purposes. Well, hey, we went long here, but I really appreciate you joining. It's been awesome. I hope to make this a a more regular segment. Maybe we'll do some some betting uh, in the future, uh, a betting pod. Um, So thanks. Yeah, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Before we leave, let me tell you a little something. Uptown, funk you up. 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 Uptown, funk you up.